Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Sonia Leeson and you're listening to the Love Mondays podcast, The Power of Resilience, stories of struggle and success from inspiring entrepreneurs. In this series, I will be interviewing business leaders, entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about their incredible true life stories and how they overcame adversity to build a killer business that makes a real difference in the world. Stay tuned to learn more about their game-changing strategies which took them from struggle to success. Hi there, Leanne. How are you doing? Thanks for coming on the podcast. That's an absolute pleasure. Looking forward to it. Great to have you here. So um, we haven't really met before today, so there's not a huge amount that I know about your story. So do you just want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and a little bit about your, um, your business? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm Leanne Spencer. I'm an expert in corporate well-being. I'm an author, podcaster as well. So it's quite interesting being this side of the mic. <laughs> um, I'm also an endurance athlete. So we do some really fun stuff every couple of years. We do a really big event. So last year was the world's toughest ski race, which got cancelled this year. So thank God we got it done with last year. The most incredibly difficult thing I've ever done. Prior to that, we've done some marathons as well, which paired into insignificance once you've done the Arctic Circle race. I don't wow. say that to be flash. Just the first day of the Arctic Circle, the elevation was the equivalent of going up and down Snowden five times. Wow, in one day. So, so up, down, up, down, up. Yeah, so two and a half times the whole thing. Yeah, just, just the first day. and It was extraordinarily difficult. But we do that to raise money for Alzheimer's research because my late father-in-law died of, amongst other things, Alzheimer's-related conditions. So, so we do stuff like that. I say for fun. <laughs> I suppose the fun thing about me is I'm also a Bear Grylls survival instructor. So... Various different things that I do. And I, I set up a company about eight years ago, which then was called Body Shop Personal Training, but it's now called Body Shop Performance Limited. And we use technology, technology and science-based solutions to create happy, healthy, and resilient teams. Um, and that, that business is a lot of fun now. It hasn't always been. It's been a tough, lots of challenges and quite tough to build, but we, um, we're in a pretty good place now. Yeah, it sounds like you're very, uh, you've got a bit of grit behind you. So it's going to be really, really a interesting bit, yeah. to learn more about that. Um, so you basically have taken all of your fitness personal training experience and you now put that into helping companies. Is that right? Pretty much, yeah. If, I'll give you the longer answer without rambling on it. So we, we basically, we're a personal training company. We train people outside in the parks um, and they'd arrive to us and very often they'd be very tired, very stressed, very strung out. What they really needed to do is take the rucksack off their backs, both literally and metaphorically, put it down and go for a walk and have a chat. But they would think they'd need this high intensity uh, exercise session that they paid for. And we felt we just weren't delivering the best service we could do, despite yeah. the fact that we were excellent. Um, <clears throat> we thought what we really need to do with these people is give them a break. And that, that was one aspect to it. And we also thought, you know, when you're looking at health, you tend to think from a, an outsider's perspective, a lot of it's about fitness. But it isn't, unless you consider fitness to be about the, being fit for the rigors of daily life. It really isn't that much about squatting and running and everything else. It's a broader definition of what I call interconnected health. So different strands that, that interrelate to each other, such as sleep, mental health, energy, your digestive health, your body composition, your overall fitness. And they link with each other without going off into rabbit holes. You know, sleep is closely correlated with digestive health and body composition. So we also felt that we were just hitting one little aspect of someone's well-being. And at times, you know, for our own, not even that well, because they didn't need what we were yeah. offering. So we, we pivoted um, into more of a coaching type of business and less about the physical side of it, although that was a component. 
and created that methodology, which is the six single six signals, the, the six things that I just talked to you about: the sleep, mental health, energy, and so on. And that's what we we did for a few years. Um, and then the coaching business about eighteen months ago just got tougher. I think you have to be, particularly as we are not inexpensive, so we're sort of three and a half, six and ten k for three, six or twelve months. So it's not the sort of decision you make instantly. That said, we are, we're in London. There's a lot of money in London. There's a lot of yeah. stressed people, but. In order to make that work sort of without spiky numbers and consistently, you have to constantly be meeting people who are in enough pain to want to spend money yeah. and dedicate time, have the money to dedicate, and crucially, have a supportive spouse or friends or family. And then and getting that sort of perfect storm is quite, quite difficult to do with people. Yeah. Um, quite often, we'd have people on the hook, as it were. They'd do a discovery session with me. They'd be on the hook. Yeah, love it. Send me a proposal, send me an invoice, I'm going to do it. And then three days later, I haven't had the payment and I, I follow up. Yeah, I didn't quite get the support I was expecting at home. Or, yeah, well, we've, we've just committed to having a side return done. So, we, you know, we, we probably need to put our money into that. And we go, well, you've just told me you're on the edge of a nervous breakdown, but go on and you get that side return done. And I'm not being judgy about it, but I know that someone's been in their ear, like, could you not do this yourself? Why don't you try? And if not, you can go back to Bond Shop for three yeah, months' time yeah. and tell them you can't do it. So um, from there, we thought, well, rather than trying to win these clients one by one, trying to convince people their health is more important than a side return, why don't we work with businesses, which is what I used to do anyway, um, work with companies, and we can, do, we can do health at scale, we can do well-being at scale, and try and transform the health of an organisation and its culture um, around well-being than just trying to help one one executive or one senior manager at a time yeah and you spend you know eight nine ten eleven twelve if not, sometimes more hours at work so if that yep. part can come into balance a little bit more then the, the knock-on of that is obviously going to be quite huge and it's interesting mm. what you said um, so many people think they have to get fit to feel better but I don't think the body knows the difference between stress and high, high intensity exercise like it's still it stress so yeah. You're adding more stress on top of more stress. So it's interesting that you say, you know, can't you do this yourself and all that kind of stuff because they might go out and do a spin class or a high intensity weight training class or anything else and just making themselves sicker. So it's interesting and probably better to work with somebody that kind of understands the whole holistic picture of this um, to yeah. stop them probably doing more damage than good, than good sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I'm very big on fitness, but the appropriate type and intensity and timing and as I say, you know, if you are, if you rightly say, if your nervous system is elevated and you're in that sympathetic dominant state on a prolonged basis, the last thing you want to do is a more explore high intensity exercise, which puts you further into that sympathetic dominant nervous system state. Yeah. Um, the more appropriate thing to do would be to sit and do some breathing, some walking, some interaction with nature or practicing what we call heartfulness, which is doing something you love or doing something for someone else, something, you know, or for a charity, something that's bigger than you, that takes you out of self. But either way, just not stressing the nervous system any further. Yeah, absolutely. So interesting. And what was your background before you got into this? Have you always been into fitness? Yes, pretty much. Um, bar a four-year diversion into university, where even though I was in Bangor in North Wales, surrounded by where I would love to be living now, uh, I set foot onto the mountains once, I think, which is shockers. Uh, there was too much time at a pub called O'Shea's and, and nowhere near enough time <laughs> and, and others. So no, I mean, I've always been into sport. I played a lot of tennis when I was young um, and I've always, as pretty much bar a few years sort of university and afterwards, been interested in fitness and looking after myself. So I'd say there was kind of a blip in the middle. 
And my background from a career perspective is I went straight into sales um, for a Canadian software company. And whilst there, uh, after a year, I was resigning to go and sell tin, as they call it, hardware in Clapham, which is nearer where I lived. And my boss said, don't do it. We've got something coming up. I can't tell you what, just don't leave. But you know what it's like when you've made your mind up to go. And I was like, well, if you can't tell me what this alluring other prospect is, I'm going to go and sell tin in Clapham. Um, and in the end, he said, look, don't. Myself, my wife, um, and Colin, who was a colleague of mine, are setting up a reseller to sell the Canadian software. So I worked for the manufacturer, as did Julian. He was setting up a reseller. Um, so I went off and did that. And, and he was a real cad in salesman's terms. You know, he, he sold me on this office in Maidenhead. Oh, it's all set up. It looks wonderful. <clears throat> Come over, have a look. So I, you know, I didn't, I didn't resign. I resigned from um, the, the Canadian company so I did resign to Julian but I didn't go and sell tin in Clapham and I went over to see the office and there's nothing there it's just an office with a carpet a desk a phone you know just a few bits I'd need but no phone no fax machine as, as they were you know as we used then anyway I joined and for three and a half years sorry six and a half years I worked for Julian um, and the company when I left was turning over I think three million one million which was my division now I, I had a re uh, reunited with him last year and they're doing 11 million they're I think they're 200 people I mean it's done incredibly well that company but I learned so much from Julian so much working for um, for that company <clears throat> and he kind of gave me the, the sink or swim approach which I'd been used to anyway so I had lots of autonomy and freedom more or less and very successful and it was really great times yeah, and he was, so, he was a real character. It's, it's funny, isn't it, when you look back? Because I, I worked in a company that was quite similar, and and at the time you used to kind of roll your eyes, but now I look back and I'm like, you know what? You gave me some absolute gems. And one oh, of the yeah. things that I always say is, you used to knock on his door, and he would say, "Are you coming to me with a problem or a solution?" And you, you literally used to turn on your heel and be like, "Right, I need to sort it out before yeah. I go." And now it is so brilliant because I always make sure I go to someone with a solution, not a problem. And it's those yeah. little things that you just. At the time, you're like, why are you such a pain in the ass? But now mm. it actually really feeds into everything that you're kind of doing in self-employment terms, really, and helps you yeah. out. Um, so yeah. did you leave that company to be self-employed? Is that, is that no. the term? Um, I left that company because I, I was doing a commute from South London to Maidenhead every day. It was an yeah. hour and a quarter when it was going well. And I just got weary of that. And, um, and Pythagoras changed. That was the name of the company. It changed from being me to 40 people. 30 people maybe, at which point it changed quite a lot as well. You couldn't come in in your fisherman's friend jumper anymore. You had to be a bit smarter. It was getting a little bit more corporate, and sort of divisions, and it, it changed, as it does when you go from one to 30, yeah, 30 people. Yeah. And I just fell out of love with it a bit, really. I mean, I, I do think of Julian Nemo often. It was great to see him last year, considering it's been 20 years. And I, I, there's a lot of things, you know, he taught me to always say, you know, what do I need to do to win the business? Ask for the business. Um, so lots of principles that I still use and think about today and a lot of uh, funny things as well, you know, how to take a hardship. Are you allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, I'll put it as uh, not for children's ears. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt they'll be interested in this anyway. So we used to say, if you, if you said, oh, so-and-so said that and they went to placing an order and he'd say, oh, they're trapped in arseholes, fuck them. And then you'd move on from that. That would, that would be as kind of, that was the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, not, it's not wrong. I mean, just, just don't. Well, you know, sometimes it's helpful to do a bit of a post-mortem on why you did some business, but it was more if someone had just let you down or... Yeah. And it's got a sort of bad attitude to have, you know, don't, don't worry about it, don't labour a point, just move on. Move on, yeah, forget it and move oh, on. Yeah. That's his little catchphrase, <laughs> I won't say it again, but yeah. 
<laughs> I'm sure our listeners loved it. Um, so how did you get into self-employment then? It hasn't been without its struggles, has yeah. it? What year did you go uh, self-employment? 2012. Okay, so yeah. So I, um, I, I left Pythagoras and then I was in maybe another eight years or so of employment. I can't remember exactly what, for various different companies in the city. But each time I'd moved, and when I say moved, it was two, three years in each job. I got a little bit less... Oh, a little bit more disenfranchised, less enthusiastic about sales. Sales is Sisyphean in nature, by which I mean, you know, the myth of Sisyphus is to roll the boulder up the hill and he had to let it roll back down again. And that was his punishment in Greek mythology. Sales is a bit like that. And I expect no little violins to be tuned up and played in my, uh, in my honour when I say <laughs> this, because I was in the right place, right time for a lot of stuff and, um, and, and made good money, spent it, spent it all as well. But you know, you, you hit your target and then you start again at the beginning of the yeah. month. And, and that was one element. I was getting a bit tired of that. Um, surrounded by people in my last job in the city who glorified lots of alcohol consumption, you know, joking about how they couldn't remember getting a Mercedes home, saying they wouldn't get out of bed if the deal wasn't worth a certain amount. And I just thought, these aren't really my people. Yeah. I also was dressing in a very inauthentic way by my own choice. Now, I appreciate listeners can't see me, but short hair t-shirt Birkenstock shorts that's really me certainly in the last four months that's been it maybe I'll smarten the top up but that's it I was wearing skirts heels and tights a kind of city garb um, and all of that just built up and I just found that I was really dreading the days mitigating uh, my stress with copious amounts of alcohol watching the clock in the bottom right hand corner of my pc um, wondering when I can go home you just uh, don't want to live like that do you no, it's, life's too short. It's very, very short. And I mean that in a positive way. I didn't want to waste my time anymore. And it, it came to a head when I left a sales meeting that had gone really badly in as much as um, the chap I was meeting was building a system for his client and it would require our data to be fed into the back end. Um, and his, his client had pulled out. So there was no system to be built, therefore no data to be input. Um, and it meant I was going to have a really difficult conversation with work because I was on a sales performance management plan. And I knew that this big deal dropping out just meant I was nowhere I was going to hit the number. So um, I resigned on the Sunday, I was accepted on Monday. I'd handed everything back, laptop, pass, et cetera, on the Friday. But it left me in, in an interesting position, really, because I, by drinking, it just got completely out of hand. It had, it had done, really, from day dot. I've always been the, the biggest drinker, even at 14 when I started, which is way too early to be drinking, really, even if it is just once a weekend or whatever. You know, your brain hasn't fully developed by that age, you're starting to, you know, maybe you're relying on alcohol than you are on your friends in terms of sharing and all this stuff yeah. that Simon Sinek talks really knowledgeably about, amongst others. But I'd always been the one who would have the bonus drink or last to leave the pub or the most drunk. So it's not surprising that it developed in the way it did. And I was drinking at that point in 2012, bottle and a half, maybe three bottles of wine a day, yeah. sometimes in the morning if I was a bit shaky, Yeah. Um, maybe two, three times a week. Um, I would have to have a drink the first thing to alleviate the bit of anxiety and the shakes. Sometimes that would come back up and the second one would stay in and I'd feel a bit better. It was pretty gruesome. So um, I, also, I then made a decision that I, I would have to get treatment for that. And I'd had a couple of outpatient detoxes anyway, which is where you go to the doctor and you say, I want to stop drinking, uh, but I, I need to do this medically supervised. So what they do is an outpatient detox, which is where they establish you live with someone who can watch you. And they give you something called Librium and you take that every day. And it just takes the edge off your withdrawals yeah. because I don't know if your listeners will know, not many people do, that alcohol is fatal to withdraw from. Yeah, can be fatal. Yeah. Can be fatal, yeah. You so go to shock, can't disease. you? Is that, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Well, it's delirium tremens is the onset of that. And um, 
people tend to think of the DTs or the shakes, you know, a little bit shaky, but actually it's a very severe physiological reaction to withdrawal mm-hmm. of alcohol and it can be fatal. And I was, I went to, to rehab in the end, but while I was How much rehab, do you have to be drinking for that to happen? Is it every, is it well, just every relative. day or is, is you it? You just have to be physically dependent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it isn't a kind of, like, if you start to creep up into this much alcohol, you're likely to get addicted. It's, yeah, it's more over time. longer periods of time or... It's over time. It's your physiology, how, yeah. to some degree, how physically resilient you are. And of course, the more resilient, it's not necessarily the better when it comes to drinking. No. The volume, um, there's a little component of genetics. Um, there's lots of other reasons why, but I psychiatrists think that, that addiction occurs in you know, a trauma in, in childhood yeah, yeah, and all this sort of stuff but um from a physical perspective there isn't really a benchmark um but if you it's unlikely if you go at it long enough that you'll escape yeah, it, yeah. psychological or physical um what i was going to say is when i was in i went to rehab for six weeks and while i was in there there was a chap who had the proper dt so anytime someone makes a joke about shaky hands i'll say this um he came down the stairs and he thought he was in his home and i was his wife He'd been admitted the day before. He was as stiff as a board coming up the stairs. I mean, you see people in a very bad way. And um, he thought I was his wife and he thought that he was in his home, not a rehab. So he, every time someone went over to sort of, I say restrain him, very gently take his arm and lead him back to bed. He thought he was being attacked in his own home. So he was mm-hmm. reacting very, you know, very, in a very upset manner. Set, patting me on the back, saying, I'm sorry, love. I'm sorry, love. I'm trying to defend, you know, it was a really sad state of affairs. And that's DT's. It's when you are it's almost hallucination having psychosis. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, so yeah, there you go. Oh gosh. And then, so you were actually as an inpatient for six weeks. Did you stay yeah, there? So two outpatient detox programs that worked for a few months. This is over a period of three or four years. And then eventually when I left in 2012, when I left my job, I thought I've got to sort myself out from an alcohol perspective. So I, I went to a rehab and lower stop for six weeks which actually was quite an enjoyable experience in some levels because you, they take your phone and your car, your house keys and your, yeah. um, your, your, your purse away from you. So you've got nothing to worry about, no bills. You can't look at your phone. All you're doing is getting up, going to the treatment center, going through the group sessions, doing meetings, coming back, doing your chores. So it just gives you a chance to forget about everything except getting better um, and getting, you know, reconnecting back with yourself. Um, so yeah, that, that, that wasn't a bad experience really. Um, it's nice. It's actually nice to hear that side of it because yes, that is lovely in some, you know, it's, it's, it's testament to the type of person that you are in that you can take that view of it. Um, because a lot of people would just be like, I'm just left on my own with my own thoughts, with my own traumas, with my own childhood experiences. And I think so many people now kind of escape that, whether it be look at their phone, go to the gym, um, drink wine, eat chocolate, everybody has that escape and that that can't have been easy actually going through that experience and obviously well, they, you've supported there as well with cancer. yeah there is support um people are eating a hell of a lot of chocolate the smokers are smoking a hell of a lot of fat. yeah it's just Obviously, moved on to something no else um, your bags are searched and literally everything's taken out even perfume because people wow. do drink uh, while i was there someone drank perfume while i was there someone drank paint stripper I mean, it's unbelievable where it takes people. Can you imagine yeah. being so desperate that you drink perfume? It's just horrendous. My mum actually... Hopefully you can't imagine it. <laughs> well, um, my mum actually worked in accident emergency and they used to come in and drink the hand sanitizer because obviously it's yeah. 60% alcohol or something. <laughs> and they'd put it in a brown paper bag and leave it, you know, leave mm-hmm. with it. And when you s- see that or think about it, I don't think you can really understand the depths of 
the emotion that these people are going through. I yeah. mean, it's just, yeah, to get to that stage, to get to any stage, you've got to be so, so brave as well to go and ask for mm. help. Um, mm. But to get to that stage, you've got to be absolutely at the end of your tether in order for you to say, I can let go of my whole life for six weeks, six months, however long it is, and, and say, I'm going to spend this money, go there, and, and I have got a problem, which is, which is the biggest thing to do, I think, is say, I need help, I have got a problem. That, yeah. that takes the most amount of strength. Yeah, no, it does. Because um, you have to admit a lot of things. And you know, the first step in the 12 step program, my powerless over alcohol and my life has become unmanageable. And that's a big statement. Yeah. Um, and uh, years in the making, really. I think, I don't think anybody kind of comes to from a bender and thinks, right, that's it, I'm done. Well, they do, but it's not, it's not a 24 hour decision. It's one that's been building up over months or even years. And eventually you have enough. And I'm often asked, you know, if I really want to give this up. Well, what, what do I do? How can I get there? And, and, I don't have a very good answer because I think you just have to let, to a degree, you just have to let things run their course until you've genuinely had enough. Because if mm. there's any ambivalence, you know, you'll give up. And then three months later, like you'll I did, back. you'll think, I wonder if I could just go back to being a normal drinker, whatever a normal drinker is. And I wasn't ever one anyway. I didn't go from a you know, glass of champagne at weddings to, yeah, to that and then back again. To three bottles a day. No. So no. it's going back to something I was never in the first place. Of course, it doesn't work like that. It's like a candle. You light it where you left off. The wax doesn't sort of grow back up over time. Boom, you've got a new candle to play with in five years' time. Mm. And you can't uh, expect to know something that you've never had, I suppose. You can't expect to know what it feels like to to only have a champagne at weddings if you've never been that person. It's almost like pie-in-the-sky idea of something you can imagine, but it's it's not something you've ever had experience of that you can go back to. Well, exactly, yeah. It's just pure fiction. But, you you know, it's... the cognitive dissonance and that power of persuasion and denial is incredibly powerful. And, and never that's the have biggest I seen thing. those things. That's yeah. the biggest thing of getting help, first of all, is that saying the words out loud mean you can't be in denial anymore. And it's admitting it to yourself. It's not so much admitting it to therapists or counsellors or families or friends, because the majority of them will probably already be worried about you or the counsellors will already know you've got a problem because you've been, you know, you've been going to them. But actually saying those words out loud and getting yourself out of denial is, mm. is just a huge step. Mm. How, how did you find it afterwards? Did you, did you, so you said you, you slipped back again after three months, did you? No, I, I gave up the first time for eight and a half months, second time three, and then the third time was eight years ago, wow. um, which is the last time. Um, time. Lucky for you then. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's just as I say, I just got to that point where I knew unequivocally I was at a fork in the road. Left is you carry on drinking and all those yets, job, partner, you know, haven't lost them yet, would have happened. Um, and who knows where that would have gone. Um, and the other was giving up and cracking on and getting on with life. So that's the path I took. And towards the end of rehab, I knew I wanted to come out and be a personal trainer for a number of reasons. And mainly I wanted to intersect two things I'd always been very interested in, which is um, health, believe it or not. I know there's nothing healthy about M&S ready meals and three bottles of wine a day, but that was also part of the tension that I was feeling. I was living life in a certain way and I wanted to be living it another. Yeah. Frustrated that I wasn't making that happen. And the other thing is business and entrepreneurship, which I started out very entrepreneurially and then started working for someone when I came out of university and just stayed working for someone for 17 years. Uh, And and personal training is a simple, easy to access way of doing those, intersecting those two things. And that's how Body Shot came about. And that was in 2012. So did you set that up quite quickly? You were obviously going through, you know, coming through addiction and setting up a business all at once. Well, I come out of rehab, so six weeks sober, 
and was absolutely buzzing. And they call it the pink cloud when you first give up. Not everyone gets it, but you wake up in the morning and like that ping. Oh my God, a new day. Wow. What can I do with it? You know, you get quite euphoric yeah. sometimes. Sometimes you don't. And, and, and full of beans as well. And you know, finally I can crack on. I lost two and a half stone just by eating better and moving and obviously not drinking so much and started you know, making much better choices of food, really exploring um, stuff that's very basic now, but buying fresh vegetables, growing vegetables, signing up for a vegetable delivery box and having to text my mom and saying, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a Learning literally from the, from yeah. the beginning. Yeah. For the ground up, no pun intended. So, yeah. um, so that was really good fun. I, was, I got into the car and I had a bike and I was cycling everywhere. And I just got a big buzz out of winning new clients, personal training clients. You know, a lot of dopamine coming from that. Um, and just seeing what I could build. And we, we did really well with PT. We were doing anything up to 15, 20 grand a month wow. in net sales on personal training until we decided to sort of pivot and, and move away from that a little bit. Wow. So that was huge. And I think it just goes to show, tell me if I'm wrong, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but it just goes to show that when you really do try and align or when you do align yourself to what you truly know deep, deep down is you, you said you went into work and, and you knew inside, this isn't me. This isn't what I want to be. I'm not dressing how I want to dress. You know, I feel how I look isn't how I feel. And slowly, slowly over time, and the same in sales, I've been there as well. Um, you know, the guys, the, the cocaine, the drinking, the going out, the very flashy yeah. lifestyle. Um, even if you're only going out once or twice a week, you know, it still kind of has that knock-on effect. And when yeah. you were struggling from, you said, 14, it's so easy to get pulled into that lifestyle. Mm. And especially when you've got kind of nothing to pull you back. As we said, work is such a massive part of life. You're there for eight, nine, ten hours a day. And then you're going out socializing with these people. It just becomes this really kind of tight bubble of toxicity or, or mm. struggle or whatever it is and it's it's just so easy to spiral isn't it yeah and the body keeps the score and all that stuff any sort of toxic um with suppression or expression so going out as you say on drinking cocaine or or staying home quietly and denying your sexuality or which i wasn't at that point but or denying any aspect of yourself or just living in a way that's very inauthentic the body yeah. keeps the score Mm. And, and that thing that sort of gnaws and nibbles at your innards until you can't ignore it anymore, which is kind of where I, I got to with it. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a tattoo now, which of course you can see, but um, listeners can't, which is an, a, an alphanumeric code, but it says to thine own self be true. And it's just a little reminder. It's a very hackneyed phrase for tattoo, but because it's in this alphanumeric code, you can't see what that says, can you? No, you no, not at all, yeah. Um, so it's a bit more discreet, but I know what it says. And it's just a little reminder to um, to stay authentic. I don't think I'll ever need the reminder, but, you know, to make sure you're true to yourself and, mm. and don't get caught doing something that you're unhappy with or... And do you think that was a big turning point for you? Obviously, you said you got to that crossroads where you just said, I've got two options here. It's either up or down, sink or swim. Yeah. But what do you think was the biggest kind of thing that helped you stay on the track, um, whether it was the first, second or third time? I'm sure they had their... I don't think one happens independently of the other. Probably the first time you tried had a knock-on effect to help you get to the second, which had a knock-on yeah. effect to help you get to the third. Yeah. What do you think were the things that helped you kind of get through those times and keep going? I don't know. I mean, you're right. You do, you do learn things from the first time you've given up or, or, or tried something and it's not worked out and you can pick up from that. I think probably it was just a necessary rite of passage. You need to prove to yourself that you can't go back to any sort of, of inverted commas, normal drinking. 
Um, and actually, you can't make this work in the environment you're in for a whole yeah. host of reasons. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to have to go. So you ju- and you have to see this. You have to look at it in the eye, really, to think, OK, I can't, you know, I'm going to have to do things differently. Because otherwise, in the back of your mind, there will always be that question of what if I could just just once in a while, maybe yeah. once a month. Uh, and you need to prove to yourself that that's not the case. And sometimes that can be catastrophic for people. And sometimes that can be even fatal for people. Um, it wasn't in my case. I just realized, you know, that, that I wasn't going to be able to handle this any other way than abstinence and get out of that environment. And for a year after, you know, t- 2012 to 2013, I didn't even want to log onto LinkedIn. It would make me feel quite sick. Yeah. Now I'm on it all the time. I'm going back in and pitching to companies and basically going back to doing what I was doing before to a degree, but entirely on my terms. I'm wearing what I want to wear. Um, I'm not dressing to please anyone. Um, Working with organisations I want to be worth. Yeah, um, working the a very, very autonomous lifestyle, which is such a crucial part of wellbeing, I think, autonomy. Even yeah. if it's in the confines of a, of a paid employed job. I think you still have to have some kind of control over your own destiny uh, or some kind of control over. So, I mean, there are, I believe there are employees and they're entrepreneurs and those two people are very comfortable in in different environments, but you are absolutely right. They need to be the right type of person. I tried to be um, an employee for a long time before I was self-employed. I was quite young when I started my business, I suppose. Um, But it it just wasn't for me. I I, I learned a lot, but, I felt trapped. I didn't feel as though I was in control. Uh, whereas now, being self-employed, that fits who I am very, you know, a lot more. Um, but yeah. I think when you're young, you don't necessarily know who you are also. So I think if you are struggling with something as you were, it's very hard to say, I do want this, I don't want this. Or yeah. you don't have the emotional um, resources. You don't have the business yeah. acumen knowledge. So at the age of 17, 21 27 you might not necessarily have the business knowledge that you need to go and make these choices so over time i think as you age they say you wasted on the younger them but you know it's probably true um because i'm as you starting get, to see where that comes from yeah because as you get older you start thinking this is what i want and this isn't what i want and you start having the balls to actually say yes and no um, mm. and, and it, it takes a huge amount of strength, I think. And if, if nobody's ever come through any type of addiction or as you have completely just turned your life around in all ways, I don't think you can really comprehend the scale of what you have to not only personally deal with inside, but what you have to change outside. You have to change yeah. your friendship groups, job, location. Um, you have to relate Andrew, to your family yeah. differently. I mean, it's just massive. So not only are you dealing mm. with your own personal stuff on the inside, the reasons why you were drinking, you have to change everything on the outside. It takes a huge mm. amount of strength and courage. Um, mm. And I really take my hat off to you because it just sounds like it's just been such a ride for you. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of things I didn't have to change. I was fortunate in that regard. But you're right. Very often you do have to change everything. They do say in the rooms, AA, don't change anything. Um, because you've got so much to go getting on with. Don't worry about changing a job, moving house. But often you have to. Um, I was in, in rehab with, with women who were getting knocked about. Um, so, you know, they were going back to that same relationship. Yeah, and you can't escape. And, yeah, and almost certainly you never heard from them again, wow. even when you got on really well. In fact, one gave me a suitcase and said, oh, you live down the road for me. Can you bring this home for me? I carted this thing home, never heard from her again. Um, it just goes so, to the power of the manipulation, um, yeah. and, you know, the, the strength of that relationship that even when yeah. they're so desperate to leave and they're actually getting help, that actually the manipulative partners yeah. can, can kind of have more of a, 
Well, quite often, actually. Um, most It was mostly women, probably 60 70% when I was there. And obviously it changed. People came and went. Um, almost all of them were there because they, they were been sent there because it was their last chance saloon before the kids were taken away. That's kind wow. of where we got to. Um, a lot of people were sent there rather than paid to go there like I did. But anyway... Yeah, it's yeah. um, it's it's there's a, a rich tapestry of life, isn't there? Really, and mm. and I think one thing that I've learned since I've been on the entrepreneurial journey is that so many entrepreneurial people, very few of them, in fact, have actually had the the simple life and then just started a business. Probably, probably a hundred percent, actually, of the people that I've spoken to and I've met on my uh, journey, they've all got there because of something that has happened in their past and they've just thought, I want better than this or I want to do it differently or I can mm. find a way to solve this problem. Um, and it's, it's just incredible, really. It doesn't have to be the end, I don't think. Um, no, not at all. It can be the beginning. It wasn't absolutely. my case. I think of life as a life of two halves so far. Um, yeah. And I don't have a lot of regrets about the first. You know, we had some amazing times, despite the amount of money it's been wasted on booze, taxis and coke. But we've had some amazing times. Um, great conversations, great situations. Very few that I think, ooh, I mean, there are a few that I can do with that scrubbing from the memory. But on the whole, good times. Not that I want to glorify or go into, um, what's it called, euphoric recall. But, but that was then. And I'm, I'm glad that I, I've shifted on for that. And I'm actually getting some stuff, in my opinion, getting stuff done now rather than having fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, mine's exactly the same. I think I'm, in, I'm just about in my second chapter now, but my first chapter was uh, quite colourful. And uh, <laughs> there's, there's just been, the thing is, I'm always a forward looker. I never look back. And so many people say to me, oh my God, I can't believe what's happened, you know, what I've got over and everything else. But... I honestly believe I wouldn't be here now if it hadn't been for those things. And mm. um, that's the whole point of this podcast, really, is that you can change it. You can do something different. You don't have to, when you are at those crossroads, and it feels horrendous, you feel like you're never going to make it. Um, and it's never, ever a huge leap forward. It's always just tiny, tiny steps. And mm. it, it leads you somewhere as long as you are being authentic and you are doing the right thing and you're learning the lessons, first of all, because if you don't learn the lessons, you just get stuck and, and stay stuck. Um, mm. And it's, it's, yeah, it's really incredible. And the, um, everything that you've kind of said, you can see where it leads and feeds into your business and your knowledge. I mean, you said you mm. had to start from learning what a salary app was. And now you're teaching corporate businesses about health and well-being. Um, mm. So how was that journey for you? Did you, um, I suppose you're a lifelong learner. I'm assuming you are because many people that yeah. do things never stop learning. You always have I can't to imagine stopping learning. I mean, apart from anything else, you will learn. You, you know, you'll go out and you say the wrong thing and then you'll learn, you know, as an example. Um, oh, it's been a really great journey. I mean, it's, I feel like we never stay still for too long. And on the whole, I think it's not been a bad thing. And we've just found our niche now, I think. Um, so very recently, in the last five weeks, I was appointed the head of wellbeing for a company called iTech Media, two days a week. Um, and that, that was, I met them in March, and I started on June the 8th. So that's incredibly good timing, because yeah. it's a fantastic gig. They're such an exciting, fast-growing tech company. Um, and that's obviously a great contract to secure in terms of cost base. In what's going to be a very interesting looking year, who knows how yeah, it's going to yeah. shape up. But as a well-being company, with the assets that we've got, um, and sort of what we've learned over the last two or three years, and all the learning that I've absorbed um, over time, I've got about 13 qualifications in exercise and nutrition. But most of what I practice on a daily basis, I've heard, I've listened to from podcasts and my own anecdotal experience and experience of working with others and sort of biohacky type knowledge. Um, 
and, and it's, it's great. Um, I feel like we're really making an impact. Our purpose is to create happy, healthy and resilient teams. And I really feel that the work we do now is delivering on that purpose. Whereas before, we were helping one person if it went well and they lent into it the way we did. And what yeah. happens is they come to you in pain. They really go for it in the first month because they're in pain. And then because it's, it's effective, they start to feel a bit better. They'll miss a session. They'll feel all right. You know, and you don't always get that reward at the end of it. Whereas now I really think that what we're doing is, is impactful. It's considered and measured and it's exactly what our market wants. Yeah, really amazing. And I think when you've got a story that kind of backs this up and the actual living experience that backs this up, it just makes you come across so much more authentically. You obviously really care about what you do. You care about the people that you work for. And I think that really comes from having that past, doesn't it? Having that own personal experience that even though you don't out and out talk you know, about it, you might not walk into a meeting and say, hi, I do this business because of X, Y, and Z in my past. there's just uh, another you just give off another energy don't you You, you're you know Mm. passionate about what you do you really care for all the right reasons I think people want to hear I don't tell that story every time it's not part of the pitch if it's appropriate (laughs) I'll bring in bits of it yeah but I'm very happy to tell it anytime anyone wants to to listen because and often people do it's the bit they remember Mm. um because they want to know where this has come from and because I I I look very clean living now and and fresh-faced and and fit I think sometimes people want to see a bit of, of the human side of you as well and not, oh, there's someone who used to be a PT coming in to tell us why we should sleep well. You know, yeah, yeah, it's all right. You know, it's, it's all right for them. They've never had a problem before. Yeah, it makes you a bit relatable. And Well, I mean, I think if I have the option of, I know Timpsons hire people who are, you know, have either had criminal records yeah. or they've had other kind of difficulty. I wouldn't necessarily target people like that to work for me in my business, but I do think if someone comes around with that sort of background, often if they've really got their shit together, and they've got a bit of a record of that, not just a month or two out of, you know, treatment centre and all full of the joys. They can be the most reliable people because they've been through the ringer and they've come out the other side and they really know what it's like to, to have grit and to dig in and to, to face adversity. And quite often, rather than being potentially unreliable, I think they could be, you know, actually the opposite sort of people who've done yeah. a lot of work. And I think if you've got the grit and determination to get over your own stuff, it gives you grit and determination through it's it's like a walk in the park. I say all the time I'm on easy street, even though I've been a self-employed single mum and everything else. I've come out of homelessness. I've come out of poverty. I didn't have enough money to feed my son. I used to share a loaf of bread with another mum. Wow, I, see, I didn't know any of this about you. So yeah, what, honestly. How long were you homeless for? Oh, God. Um, probably from 16 till probably about four years, I'd say. But I had my, wow. son, in that, I had my son in that time. So I was in a homeless hostel. And then, yeah, same as you, went completely off the rails in my 20s. And I just got to the point where I was like, do I want this for my son? Actually, no, I don't. Mm. And, you know, I'm not daft. I've got a head on my shoulders. Um, and I just wanted a bit more for myself, really. And, and it was the same as you, you know, friendship groups, uh, the life that we were living. It just carries on and carries on and carries on. But I learned a lot and it opened me up and it moved me into dealing with my own shit and getting myself together and now yeah I have life isn't easy there's always stuff that happens but I'm like yeah I'm on easy street like I'm not fighting poverty at the minute I'm, I'm mm. I've got a nice place you know a nice place to live I've got an amazing boyfriend my son's doing fine he's nearly 19 next week um oh. yeah so it's easy street isn't it and when you've come through something probably so tough and traumatic that mm. everything just in comparison isn't really that mm. tough so I feel quite grateful um for for everything 
Yeah, and I, I think the resourcefulness you have to yes, have when you're absolutely. homeless, and in a negative sense, you know, with addiction, often if you can't afford your your thing of poison, then you'll be very resourceful in how you get it, which is a negative side of resourcefulness. The homeless, how we're going to figure out where to get a bed for the night, I guess is positive. Um, you know, you can see how easily that translates into entrepreneurship. You know, uh, determination, drive, yeah. Won't give resourcefulness. Up. You know what you need, yeah. you've got to find. And you can translate those skills into, into anything, really. Finding mm. sales. Um, yeah, I think it's just about... I've, I don't know, I've always had... I haven't always known where I've wanted to go, but I always knew that there was somewhere. So that's the only thing that really kept me going. I knew I didn't want to be there. So I just thought, yeah. well, I'm just going <clears> to <throat> keep going until I'm happy. Um, mm. So I didn't necessarily have a final destination, but I had the drive to get to a destination. I had the mm. drive to get away from where I was. And I think sometimes that's as good as anything. It's as good as having yeah. a goal. I suppose it is a goal. It's a goal to get away rather than a goal to... Yeah. Um, so either way, you've got, an, you've got a goal. Um, mm. But I mean, I've been really lucky, you know, going from being homeless and not being able to afford any food and all of that kind of stuff. In Touchwood in seven years, I've never had a problem with cash flow. You know, I'm so good with money. I've had to budget. I think it was, I had £82 a week to bring up my son on. Um, and I only had £2 to put in, in the gas meter sometimes. Um, wow. And, and that, was, that was just normal life for years. I worked three jobs. Um, I was working in chip shops. I was working in packing factories. I, you know, I was, I was having to do everything just to get by. Um, mm. But from that, I am really good with money. You know, I don't have any debt. Uh, my business doesn't have any debt and and again you can look at that as a negative of you know like you said get the little violin out or you can say well actually it's taught me a lot of really really good life lessons um mm. that I'm now able to to bring into to running a business and I think that's the same you know with any life experience really um, mm. and certainly you can see your journey where you know how that's kind of fed into the business that you run now and and you actually care you actually care about people and I don't think you know, that's not fake. That's something that you genuinely have felt yourself. Um, mm. And you don't, for me, I don't want to see anyone else struggle. So that's why I get so much out of my business is that I can help my clients. I can help my clients do well. I can help my clients grow because I don't want them to struggle. I know what that feels like. Mm. Uh, so whatever that drive gives you, I think you can always turn it into a positive. I certainly try to. And that's why I want to do this podcast is um, just to show people that, you know, it's never the end. If you learn the lessons, it can be the beginning. And like you said, the new chapter you can take all the learnings and, and start the next chapter. Um, so, but you, you said earlier that it hasn't always been easy for you in business. You did have a bit of a struggle financially and it ended up doing we've quite had about, Yeah, well, we've had about three uh, dodged bullets. Um, the first couple we've, we've made, you know, we've just come really close to running out of money. And then a while back, we... It taps into this resourceful thing again, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the mantra at this particular point in time is just to stay in the game. That was the mantra. And, and we were expecting a commission check from one of our affiliates at the time. And they, uh, they basically said, well, we don't think you've sold this product. We think a discount uh, code site has picked up your discount code and blasted it out. And long story short, this big five-figure commission check we were expecting did come through. So very simply, we were going to run our money in four weeks. Simple as that. Wow. So um, I dropped off the payroll. And the following day, I started working for my, my best friend's husband's building company as a laborer stroke trainee builder good job um, you were fit really <laughs> yeah um and did that for 10 weeks i mean it's hard dirty work and it really is dirty work you know you'd be fixing a bit of plasterboard and a ceiling and some old insulation will fall out all over your face and even if you've got a mask and, and 
uh, goggles oh. on. It's grim. But I've, I've learned, I learned so many skills, you know, plasterboarding, did a bit of um, dead wiring, you know, when they you know, clearly show what to do. So basically get the wires coming out of a wall into a plug and socket, into a socket, not a plug, when the electricity's turned off, obviously. Um, floorboards, uh, of all sorts, from skip loading to, to plasterboarding a ceiling, <laughs> which is a pretty horrible job because these boards are heavy. I actually did a plastering course. Um, it's hilarious. No, not plastering. Yeah, I did a plastering course. I actually turned up and the guy that was running it said I was the prettiest plasterer he'd ever seen on the course. <laughs> I, think I, was, I think I was the only girl, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it, you just, it, I suppose, staying in the game, you just have to have faith in everything that you've done, everything that you've built. Have balls of steel, don't give up, and just know that it's just a blip. You yeah, need but also it. just just do what you need to do to stay in the game. You know, I could drop off payroll, work for him for 10 weeks, and come back on payroll because we've recovered, uh, which meant walking the dog, doing a day on site, and then working two or three hours on, on body shop. But we, we, we rebuilt. Um, and now we're doing we're doing really really well. So it's just as well we stayed in the game. But you know that kind of resourcefulness comes into play there. I'm not saying to say well done me. You know, um, just that that resourcefulness and that being very focused on what you really want to be doing. There was no way I was going back to work for someone else in a city context. No. And actually, what I realised, even working for ten weeks as a builder, with I see you've got autonomy. There's a job to be done. The the, the site moves at its own rhythm, but you can't come and go if you've gone off the boil at half three. Um, you can't go an hour early and come back in because you're part of a team. So I felt the confines of a working day, which is so flexible for me normally, um, I'd struggled with them because it's so fixed and rigid and you can't, it's just the same day. Every day is kind of the same. It starts then, it finishes then. So I struggle with that, but it just gives you all the more incentive to make it work with body shop. Yeah, I was just about to so say, it's almost like a reminder. My yeah, it's a reminder, isn't it, of mm, actually we might be going through a struggle, but do I want to go back to the old job yeah. or is it just a struggle? And I always think, I don't know if this happened for you, but I've certainly seen that once I'm at a struggle, I know something is about to drop. You just have to get through it. And usually you mm. come back bigger. And there's that famous picture, isn't there, of um, growth's never kind of linear and straight up. It's kind of like zigzagging all over yeah. and ups and downs. But as long as you're trending upwards over time, and I think it's quite easy to get caught up in that, oh my God, it's failing. Obviously for you, you know, that's really tough having to lose your income. And always saboteurs start off oh my god I can't do this I'm failing my business is failing it's going to be the worst thing ever um mm. but you have to kind of keep keep your head screwed on and and mm. be resourceful and then come back to it um I was actually waitressing when I first started my business for exactly the same reason I you know I was a single mum I walked out of my job the day before set up my business the next day and I was like well shit how am I going to pay the bills so yeah, I went waitressing, mm. but um, yeah, I picked a bar that was quite high end. So I knew there'd be business people there. I knew I'd meet people. I used it as a networking event and that's what I did. Um, mm. And I did that for, for the first probably six, seven months. But I was going to breakfast networking events at five, six o'clock in the morning, working till five in the office and then going waitressing six till 12, getting back up wow. again at five. And so it was exhausting. Exactly who you were talking about in your business. That was me. Um, mm. I was completely burnt out. But... I got myself on my feet, you know, I didn't take a salary for the first six months. So I always had that bit of a buffer um, in the bank and touch wood, that's never gone, you know, seven years later. Um, mm. I've always kind of kept that bit of a buffer in there. And I think that's been really important just to have a little bit of peace of mind. Because yeah, it can get a bit scary, can't it? Especially at times like that, when, when you've kind of had those skinnier teeth moments, mm. you're kind of like, God, you know, is this going to work? 
you do have to have balls of steel. You do have to kind of keep the faith a little bit that you're doing the right thing. But I do truly believe if you're a good person, you do the right thing. Mm. Um, I don't think it's, it's harder to fail, isn't it? Because you, you just get referrals. There's enough people out there that help you, you know, even if it's just sharing your posts or telling their friends or, you know, helping yeah. you with your Facebook ads or, you know, there's always somebody. Um, so there is, yeah. But you always have to keep your eye on the ball and, um, always. and, and go for things and chase things up. It, I'm amazed at how many people do things like webinars or lead gen stuff and then don't follow up. You've, all, you've always got to chase everything down. The, um, I, I told you about the head of wellbeing gig um, that I've got now. That came in, and we almost thought it was spam, because it came in as a, hi, my boss wants me to book you. It just doesn't really happen like that. <laughs> You're like, that anymore. easy? It's not that easy. We just thought, you know, we'll scroll down, it'll be the old download my ebook and, and that, that stuff. Anyway, it wasn't. But I had to chase that lead up three times before, it was probably about six iterations before I got to speak to Harley, who's the founder of iTech. And then things progress from there in a quite strange way, actually, but they progress from there. So that's an incoming lead that's already at the I want to buy stage that needed six, six follow-ups to get the conversation to find out what it was they really wanted to buy and actually get this on a proper sales trajectory rather than just a, that's all great, but you can't mean that. We don't know enough about each other. <laughs> just, yeah, just, yeah. Deals like that just don't happen. In, yeah. Um, How did they hear about you? Is it word of mouth or was it? You know what? I, I continually forget to ask them. And yeah. now I'm six weeks in. I'm going to have to remember at some point how he, how he heard from me. I've forgotten every single time I've forgotten to ask. Yeah, because right. it'd be interesting, won't it? You need whatever it yeah. was, do it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So where does the, what's the future hold for you now? What's next? Uh, well, I think, you know, I've, I've got busy weeks um, with the two days a week with iTech. We've got some decent prospects in the pipeline. Um, we're looking to get some stability of numbers, um, which we will, you know, we're going to have a much easier time doing. Now we've got that, that contract. Um, I'm not looking to expand particularly. Um, I'm looking to have, uh, we've got a, a revenue goal of a quarter of a million turnover. But even that, I'm kind of, you know, that, that represents a nice profit margin for us, which would allow us to have this blended lifestyle of dog walking, eye tech, other stuff, business development, multi, you know, variety, autonomy, the things that are most important to me from a wellbeing perspective. Yeah. Um, and that really is as much as I've, I've, I've looked into. Um, I've also a Bear Grylls survival instructor and I want to do some corporate work with them when that, that comes back. That is not for the money because it's a very, very low rate of pay compared to what I can get doing a talk or a workshop or even a one-hour talk. I'd have to do days and days for Bear Grylls to get the same amount of money. But that's more about working with kids or, or just getting out in nature, teaching people yeah, survival skills. Yeah, back a little that's bit fun, as well. Really. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also do a, a day a month volunteering for a charity called Diversity Role Models, where we go into schools and talk about the effect of homophobic, biophobic and transphobic bullying on kids. And that's richly rewarding. That's voluntary. And that I look forward to getting back into that in September as well. So I suppose my aspiration is just around having a nice lifestyle, not having to worry too much about money, but equally not having to take my, you know, been able to take my foot off the gas with prospecting and following up on leads and generating leads. And just having a nice blended lifestyle where well-being... How did, is, did you think you'd ever be at this, this uh, point in 2012? Um, yes and no. I have faith in myself and a lot of confidence, but I wouldn't have known that we'd be here, no. I don't think, I know, I don't think that far ahead. No. In some yeah. ways, you know, where do you want to be in five years? I don't know. I mean, I well, know it's coronavirus just popped up out of nowhere. So I think that's thrown five-year yeah. plans out the window the for most people. five-year plans, 10-year plans. I mean, I, from, a, from a financial perspective, with my, I have two buy-to-lets and a home mortgage. I know where I want to be with those. But me personally, I'm quite looking forward to just seeing what happens. I'm not a drifter, far from it. But just looking forward to seeing where my... Opportunities, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
So, um, but I know what I won't be doing, and that's that's going back to anything I was doing in, t- in 2000. <laughs> Do you know what? The further you were, well, for me anyway, the further you get away from it, the less you want it. And um, yeah, what's to want? Oh, uh, I uh, no, uh, yeah, I love going of, of that old lifestyle. What would oh. you want of, of being homeless? I mean, maybe. Oh no, I just meant the me. wild twenties. Uh, twenties. Oh, with all that, I mean, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go back to. I wouldn't want to go back to that because a, it wouldn't be the same. And no, it's exhausting. Be a very bad God, level forty-five. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, sometimes we have a reminisce about. Do you remember when? And we used to do things called carts. Sort of leave it on a really high. I think funny that we used to do these little carts short for cartoons where a friend of mine would sketch out stick men of us the night before and they are hysterical <laughs> I've still got them and I'm going to scan them into pdfs actually and send them to all my friends and every now and again we'll get these carts out and we're looking at them going oh my god does that really happen it's <laughs> just incredibly good depictions of our nights out but just stick men um, and we used to write down the funny things that people would say and it's our memes uh, as in memories so the memes in the carts I've got those I've got my actual memories <laughs> Yeah, uh, and that'll do. I don't have any desire to go back to those. <laughs> Nor me. I love going out for a meal and uh, get my pajamas on now. Which, if yeah. I look back, I never thought when I was in my uh, early twenties I'd ever get to that point. I'd be like, oh god. Well, from that sense, no, I would never have imagined that I'd be going to bed at half nine and so chased. So. <laughs> I know I couldn't possibly imagine that. I remember when I, I met someone who didn't drink. I th- you might as well have landed off the moon in a bungee suit. I was like, what? You don't yeah. drink? What? Nothing. And I probably said that awful line. What, not even champagne at a wedding, which I still get. I'm like, no, funny enough, alcoholism doesn't take a break for nuptials. <laughs> you know, you can't have one at a wedding. What about Christmas um, Day? No, not Christmas. What Christmas? What, nothing. Don't <laughs> Changing of the colour. No, nothing. No, nothing. Um, so, yeah, in that sense, no, I would never have recognised myself. It's interesting, isn't it? What would you say, just on a final note, if anybody was struggling with anything from addiction, from worrying about their business finances or anything that we've talked about today, what would you say is the biggest tip to be able to get through it? I don't know what the biggest tip would be. The one that springs to mind immediately is just maybe get a bit of perspective on it. And that might be something like if it's a business worry, go out to the woods and walk and and think about it with a clear head from a distance. If it's an addiction-related thing, um, I find it really it's very helpful to relate to others, find someone whose story sort of um, you can relate to and see what you can learn from that or talk to someone who's been in that position um, and just hear about how they got out of it. Because it may not be you can replicate that straight away, but it's all part of a process of getting towards recovery that needs to start somewhere. I, uh, my lovely therapist lady that I, uh, when I hit 30, I had a bit of a thrysis and I was like, right, I'm getting my, getting my shit together. And, uh, I had an incredible, probably four or five years of coaching, just personal development work you, you name it. I've done it. Reiki, sound therapy, everything. And, um, I was very, very lucky to find a, it's kind of like hypnotherapy, but it's like trauma processing and changes, uh, changes memory processing and things. Um, And my lady, she's completely saved my life, changed my life. And the one thing that used to keep me going is that if Jan can do it, I can do it. And I knew her life story and it was very similar to mine. And she is just the loveliest, sweetest, just nicest, well-rounded person. And I just kept thinking, I just kept saying, if Jan can do it, I can do it. So you're so right. If you can relate to somebody or see somebody. And I always always used to think there are people out there achieving what I want to achieve. You know, there's healthy people that don't drink, that don't go out every weekend getting smashed, that they're, they're happy. They've got happy relationships, blah, 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 whatever it is. They've got successful businesses. 
if they can do it, what am I doing differently? What do I need to do differently to achieve that? Um, so I think it's really important, isn't it, to kind of relay and, and just think, actually, what blocks am I putting in the way? Because people are out there achieving these things. So what am I putting in the way to stop myself from achieving those things? Um, yeah. And I think when you, you reframe it in that way and open yourself up to changing um, and learning, like you said, I think that puts you in a whole different mindset. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Oh, it's been absolutely fab to speak to you. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, by the way, what's your website email or? Um... Uh, website is bodyshot with a T performance.com. Um, LinkedIn, I'm Leanne Spencer, 1975. So link in with me and you can contact me through there as well. Um, our podcast is Remove the Guesswork. Totally different concept to yours. It's about health, fitness and well-being. Um, yeah, so if they want to learn a bit that. more about that, then yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Leanne. And thank you for sharing your story. It's been really incredible and well done to you. I really take my hat off to you because not everybody achieves what you've managed to achieve. So well oh, done. Oh, thank you. And likewise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> take care. Thanks.